Our scripture readings this morning come from Luke chapter 10 and then Luke chapter 6. In that order, um, because Luke 10 is more, uh, more general and then Luke 6 will be a little bit more specific to the sermon. We'll begin with Luke chapter 10 and I'd like to read verses 25 through 37. This is a familiar story, the story or the parable of the Good Samaritan. But I'd like you to just uh, think about the compassion of this man on his neighbor, this Samaritan on actually what was an enemy to a Samaritan, this man's compassion and his love for this Jew, whom he recognized uh, was in great trouble, was in great need. And we'll be thinking about how to love our neighbors with respect, our lost neighbors, with respect to the gospel and outreach and evangelism. So tuck all that in the back of your mind while you're hearing these words given by our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's give our reverent and diligent attention now to Luke 10, 26 through 25, excuse me, through 37. <coughs> and behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave, him, gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. And now let's flip over to chapter 6 of Luke's gospel, verses, 20, uh, verses 27 through 31. I'm going to read verses 27 through 31 and then also verse 36. Again, the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. And verse 36, be merciful even as your father 
is merciful. Amen. Here ends the reading of God's holy word, and let us again look to our God in prayer. Shall we pray? Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us the privilege of coming into your house this morning to come and stand and worship you, to give you our praises and all of our glories. We thank you for the beautiful day that you have given to us. After all the darkness, to see the sun shining brings new hope to our hearts, just the same as when we come out from underneath the darkness of sin out into your glorious light. We pray that you will be with Pastor Jeremy, that you will give him the words that he needs to speak to us. May our hearts be ready, and may they be fertile, and may they receive his words and have them grow in us. We just ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> um, I want to just say before I begin that um, it's kind of easy to feel like uh, missions and evangelism is for over there, out there, um, something that we do uh, or that we support, say, in Costa Rica. And I'm sorry that I forgot to uh, pray for the team that's there now. I am aware uh, of that and why Pastor Bob is gone. Um, Dr. Trumper as well, I understand, is down there. Um, but it's, it's easy to, to have that mindset. But this morning in the message, I want to help us uh, lose that mindset and just realize that missions is everywhere. Missions is wherever, uh, wherever there are lost. And if you want to fine-tune our definitions, maybe I, sh I shouldn't have said missions, but evangelism. Evangelism is for everywhere, not just for the foreign mission field, because nowadays in our land, we have quite the mission field all around us. Uh, so this morning's message is to uh, just really encourage each one of us um, in our calling um, as God's ambassadors, Christ ambassadors, and those who have this precious treasure of the gospel, uh, which the, the, the lost around us need so badly, um, way more than the physical needs of that, of that Jew who fell to robbers and was, um, was blessed by the Good Samaritan. Um, so... Here are three statements, and I want you to think about what they might have in common. Cleanliness is next to godliness. Love the sinner, hate the sin. God works in mysterious ways. What do you think they have in common? Well, um, here's the answer. These are all statements that uh, many people think are in the Bible, uh, maybe not, you know, OPC folk, but, you know, lots of people out there think those are biblical statements, all, all three of them. Well, the fact is that none of those are found in the Scripture. Now, a couple of them, the concepts are there. Uh, so let me offer you a fourth one. Uh, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, also known as the golden rule. Uh, where does that one fit? That one actually is uh, in the Scriptures in almost... That exact literal form, just the two parts are reversed. Here's how it comes to us, which we read in Luke 6.31. As you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. Now, the words golden rule aren't in the Bible, but that's the term that society, our Western uh, Christian-influenced society, has given that term. 
Um, it comes up also in Matthew 7, 12, where Jesus says it slightly differently with a little follow-up. He says, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. In other words, this is the summary. This is how you boil down all the law and the prophets. He says in some places it's love your neighbor as yourself, which is another version of the golden rule, or um, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. And you may have noticed in your bulletin, if you, if you look through it in the order of worship, this morning's message is entitled The Golden Rule and Evangelism. The Golden Rule and Evangelism. So what does the golden rule have to do with evangelism, you might be asking? Well, the answer is a lot. In fact, almost everything. Because it ought to be a large part of the reason why we evangelize. But I'll explain that more in just a little bit. First, I want to ask you guys a couple of big picture questions. Uh, two uh, very important questions. Two things. These are heart and mind issues that we have to have settled before we're going to be getting involved the way we should be in the Great Commission as God's people. So the two heart and mind issues that we have to have settled first are, number one, we need to know, we need to be convinced that God commands us to do so. Each one of us as individuals, not just, say, the leadership of the church, but that each of us is to be involved in some way in the Great Commission. And I think you all have that one settled. Um, you're in an excellent congregation here. You're in a great church. I think you have that one settled in your minds. But then logically with it, the second issue that we all need to have settled is we need to be actually motivated to obey God's command regarding the Great Commission, regarding outreach and evangelism. So it's one thing to be convinced that this is what God requires of this. This is what he expects. This is what the Bible teaches. It's another thing to be ready to do it, to have gotten over all the hurdles and difficulties that all of us have with this uh, and be motivated to obey God's command. And I think issue number two is the really hard one. And so I want to spend some time here at the beginning working on this. In fact, the, the better half of this sermon will be working on this issue of motivation, so why do we obey this command? Why do all of us pray about and work on fulfilling the Great Commission to be bringing, to be holding forth the word of life as, as we're told, I think it's in Philippians, to those who are in darkness. Holding forth the word of life, uh, the, the word of the gospel, uh, the message of Christ to those who need it. Well, reason number one, motivation number one, is that God's glory is at stake. God's glory is at stake here, and we can either glorify him through our obedience, or we can forfeit the opportunity to obey and to glorify our great king, and we lose out. We lose out in the process. Friends, it's through our joyful obedience, I think you're all convinced of this, that we demonstrate how much we love and respect our redeeming God, and then this glorifies him. When people see our obedience to our king. And we are, through our lives, through our joyful obedience, showing how worthy he is of our obedience, of us honoring and worshiping him through obedience. But then it's not just our obedience itself that glorifies God in this case, because the actual content of our evangelism glorifies God as well when it's biblical. 
So let me explain this. When people find out that we are just convinced that God is the only solution to man's greatest problems. Uh, maybe you become known at work as the one who always mentions, well, the real solution is God. Um, or, you know, something like that. Or that people realize through something that we said that he is our only hope in life and in death. Or that he is the only all-sufficient and all-powerful provider of all of our needs and all that we have. And they know that we depend on God, even for our basic needs. And they, they, they just know through interacting with us that we believe that he alone has the power to free us from the penalty and power of sin. Do you see how even the content of the gospel, when, when we have opportunity and when we take it to somehow give little nuggets of the gospel to people, that that glorifies him because it shows who God is and how he's a redeeming God and he's the almighty king, the all-powerful provider, the one whom everyone depends on. That too glorifies him. So working out the Great Commission glorifies him in our obedience and in the content of the gospel, shedding light on what God is like. Now, that should be reason enough. Should be end of sermon, okay? We're excited, we're motivated, let's go. That should be reason enough uh, that it glorifies God, but, but God knows our weaknesses, doesn't he? And he knows uh, how, how we stumble often and, and that, that sometimes simply obeying and glorifying him as if those weren't massively huge, sometimes those don't always do it for us as motivators. And so he helps us. He gives us more and more. He gives us additional helps to obey and to glorify him. So I have a few more motivators for you. Uh, but first, a quick pause here. And let's just think, why do, we, why do we even need to talk about motivation? Why do we often find ourselves unable to be sufficiently motivated uh, to be answering this call to be Christ's ambassadors? Well, um, one of our hang-ups, uh, I think the most basic, or one of the, maybe the, the easiest to overcome, um, not the easiest one, but it would be simple forgetfulness. Sometimes we just don't remember. We're so focused in on, on, on our daily responsibilities and tasks, and if you're a student, on, on your studies, what you're thinking about, or um, if you're working out your plan uh, for the day, you're always thinking about the next step, the next step, your work, your work, your work. You're forgetting that God calls us to be Christ's ambassadors, that we are God's representatives. We are a kingdom of priests in this world. That means we're not supposed to blend in and be a part of the world, but we're supposed to bring God to the world and the world to God. That's what priests do. That's what ambassadors do. Sometimes it's just a matter of forgetfulness, which might just come from being uh, always so busy, so focused on just one thing, our, our secular callings, our, our secular work. But then there's other more difficult roadblocks and hang-ups and I think the biggest of these includes man-fearing thoughts. What is a person going to, to think about me if I, if I invite them to church or, or say something about God? Uh, will I lose this friendship that I have with them and this, this, this door for them to, to, to the gospel if, if I start to uh, talk about um, that they, 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 should be, um, they, should, they should read God's word or, or, or come to church with me or uh, that, they, that they need Christ in their lives? What if I say the wrong thing and, and maybe make them 
even that much less likely to, to come visit church. So we have all these worries and fears. Sometimes, though, we also just feel so overwhelmed and so busy because of all of our work that we, to, to think about trying to build a relationship with, with someone. Maybe we don't have any friends who are non-Christians, but to think about trying to get to know this one neighbor that's right next to our house um, so that we could eventually invite them to church just feels overwhelming. <clears throat> but friends, let's be honest. What is really behind these stumbling blocks and these roadblocks? Well, I think every time, if we're honest, it's really a love of self. It's loving and thinking about ourselves more than our lost neighbors and friends and co-workers. And so in addition to and next to glorifying God through our obedience, should be loving others, right? Uh, forgetting ourselves, dying to ourselves to the point that we can be loving them, thinking about them, serving them. Giving up things so that we might be able to be reaching out to them. So this is the golden rule applied to evangelism. Loving our, no our lost neighbors as we would want to be loved ourselves. In Luke chapter 6, I didn't read all the verses, but Jesus culminated his discourse there about loving our enemies. He said a lot about loving our enemies, and in the middle of the discourse, he said, and as you wish that others would treat you, so treat them. I, I, I botched it. I, I didn't quite quote it right. But at the end of that discourse, in verse 36, he said, Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. We should ask ourselves, then, are we merciful like our Heavenly Father is? Do we reflect Him, His merciful love to the needy? And you might say, well, sure, I, I'm merciful, like my Heavenly Father. Okay, then ask yourself, here's a good test. Am I very concerned about the eternal danger faced by the unbelievers in my life? By the never-dying souls who are living right next to me, whom I work with, who are my fellow students, these people who are facing an eternity of weeping and gnashing of teeth, of unquenchable fire, and the never-ending wrath of God. Are we very concerned about them, or does our forgetfulness, really our self-centeredness, numb us to seeing their reality for what it is? Does it just sort of blind us from seeing the situation as it really is? Do we... Would we rather not see it through spiritual eyes because of its implications if we were to think long and hard about it? Maybe uh, our, our self-focus keeps us from thoughtfully putting ourselves in the shoes of that lost friend or coworker, and honestly asking ourselves, if the situation were reversed, if I were in their shoes, how would I want them to be seeking to win me to Christ? even if what they did might annoy me a little bit or cause me to think they're strange or not like them as much. 
let's listen to some words on the subject of the golden rule applied to evangelism. And these are actually the words of an unbeliever, of a, of a thoughtful atheist. And he writes, I've always said that I don't respect people who don't proselytize. And what he meant by that is who don't evangelize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there is a heaven and a hell and people could be going to hell and not getting eternal life, and you think that it's not worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward, how much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? He goes on, if I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, and if that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I would tackle you. And this, he means hell and the opportunity of eternal life, and this is far more important than that. Isn't that true? Isn't that insightful? Those are the words of a uh, magician and comedian of Penn and Teller fame, Penn Gillette. And um, if you like to watch things about evangelism and outreach, I would commend to you uh, videos by Ray Comfort that are all over YouTube. And Ray, I saw this on a Ray Comfort video, and um, he's tried to have a sit-down, and he's, he's reached out to Penn Gillette, and he's written to him, and they've come close to actually getting together. And they've had a little bit of uh, communication back and forth. Um, but good examples uh, on the part of Ray Comfort on how to engage the lost, how to, uh, what I like about Ray Comfort is he, he talks about how to use the law because the Holy Spirit has come into the world to do what? To convict the world of sin and righteousness and the judgment to come. That's John 16, verse 8. And so if people are going to want to know about Christ, they're going to need to know about their problem. They're going to need to be convicted about sin. But this is the golden rule applied to evangelism. Something similar is portrayed in a story in the Word of God. It's not directly linked to evangelism, but it illustrates the golden rule here quite nicely. It's in 2 Kings verse 7. You might like to turn there if you'd like to follow along. The context there is in the end of chapter 6 of 2 Kings, we have the Syrian army having besieged the Israelite city of Samaria. The, it, the city is completely surrounded, and there is a block. No one can go out. No one can come in. It's a military siege. It's a long siege, and the people within are beginning to starve. The Israelites in Samaria are beginning to starve. In fact, it got so bad that two very desperate women ended up actually eating one of their own children. One kind of tricked the other, and they did that to avoid starvation. But then God rescues the city. God finally does something. He intervenes. And the story of God's rescue is given inside of, it's related within or inside of the story of four dying lepers, four men who were lepers who were starving. So I want to read for us 2 Kings 7, 3 through 9. Now there were four men who were lepers at the entrance to the gate. So they had to stay outside. They were just outside the gate. Because of their disease, they were not allowed to enter. It was highly communicable. And they said to one another, why are we sitting here until we die? If we say, let us enter the city, the famine is in the city and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we die also. So now come, let us go over to the camp of the Syrians. If they spare our lives, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. 
So they rose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. But when they came to the edge of the camp of the Syrians, behold, there was no one there. For the Lord had made the army of the Syrians hear the sound of chariots and of horses, the sound of a great army, so that they said to one another, Behold, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Egypt to come against us. So they fled away in the twilight and abandoned their tents, their horses and their donkeys, leaving the camp as it was and fled for their lives. And when these lepers came to the edge of the camp, they went into a tent and ate and drank. And they carried off silver and gold and clothing and went and hid them. Then they came back and entered another tent and carried off things from it and went and hid them. Then they said to one another, we are not doing right. This is a day of good news. If we are silent and wait until the morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now, therefore, come, let us go and tell the king's household. We'll, we'll stop there. Now, I don't want to try to over-spiritualize this story or equate it with what I'm talking about this morning, but it does illustrate the golden rule principle very nicely. In fact, did you notice first their neglect of the golden rule? All of a sudden, they have this awesome life-giving treasure. They have food and, and loot as well, and they begin to just hoard it for themselves. But then there's a change of mind, maybe not a change of heart. In their case, they're fearing punishment. But they, they say, we cannot keep silent. We are not doing right. This is a day of good news. What are we doing hoarding this treasure? Brothers and sisters, are we doing that with the gospel? Are we keeping silent? Are we hoarding this treasure? If so, are we, willing, are we willing to repent of that and say, as those lepers did in verse 9, we are not doing right. Now, therefore, come, let us go and tell them. Friends, let us tell the dying lost that they are under God's just condemnation for their sins, but that there is a way of salvation, a way of life with God, even eternal life. So motivation number two, loving our lost neighbors, combine that with the golden rule, equals outreach and evangelism by the people of God. Outreach and evangelism. We can be better motivated to fulfill our callings when it comes to the Great Commission through love for God, which is through promoting his glory, glorifying him through obedience, through number two, love for our fellow man. That's the golden rule applied to unbelievers. And then I've got three more, three additional and very helpful motivations for us to take this seriously, to be wrestling with how, what is my part? How can I be faithful in this calling? Motivation number three for fulfilling the Great Commission is the gospel itself. How well do we know it? Uh, is it? Is it on our lips? Is it in our minds so that we're ready to pass it on to someone else when the opportunity arises? But more than that, how well do we really know it and apply it to ourselves? Do we meditate on it? Do we refresh our souls by it? The unconditional, 
unmerited love of God for us when we deserve so much of the opposite? Do we meditate on our adoption in Christ, our union with Christ, that he is in us to empower us by his Holy Spirit? Do we meditate on the love and the fellowship that we have with the triune God and the richness of our eternal inheritance? Does it influence how we think and live? Does it shape our identity as, as ambassadors? Does it make you realize, I'm untouchable. No one can truly harm me because God is protecting me. And, and no one can truly take anything away from me because having God, I have everything. And he will never leave me nor forsake me. That's the kind of influence the gospel should have in our lives. It should make us fearless. It should give us confidence to do hard things, to face scary situations. All because we know we're convinced of how deep and how wide and how strong is God's love for us and his support of us. And that is enough for us. I, I don't have to be clinging to these other things that I, I might lose if I, if I get engaged in outreach and evangelism? Does the gospel give us an overcoming love for others? An overcoming love. It overcomes all the roadblocks and ob obstacles that we have. The gospel of how greatly God has loved us and how he fills us with that love to overflowing so that we can love others with that same love. Are you thinking about and meditating on the gospel? Motivation number four is heaven. Do we think about heaven? Is it, is it real to us? Is it, is it as real as, as all the physical things that we touch and taste and see every day? Do we meditate on heaven? If, if we love and have our hearts fixed on heaven where we will be with God and, and with one another in harmony, a harmony unbroken by sin. If we're thinking about how glorious and delightful and wonderful heaven will be, then we'll be excited about it, and we won't want anyone to miss out on it. We will want the people that we care about to go there. We will truly and deeply desire that they be with us there in eternity if it's very real to us, if we think about it throughout our days. And then motivation number five is the reality of hell. When is the last time you stopped and actually meditated carefully on one of the Bible's descriptions of hell as you, as you read over it in your Bible reading? That you slowed down, it, difficult as that is, because the descriptions of hell are pretty arresting in the Bible. They're pretty scary, aren't they? Friends, how real is hell to us? Do we really believe in it? Do we really believe that God is that wrathful against sin and rebellion, that he hates it that much, that it is that worthy of that kind of punishment? And do we believe that our lost neighbors and friends will really go there the moment that they die with no way of escape ever? Is hell a reality to us if it is it'll be a great motivation to be engaged 
in the Great Commission. So friends, let's let love for God and his glory and love for our, our fellow fallen men and the gospel itself and heaven and hell. Let's let these things motivate us to reach out to others for the sake of their eternal, eternal souls. But now, how do we do it? I have just a few closing applications for you. How, how can we do this? And I, don't, I won't take much time because it's really where there's a will, there's a way. You, you can come up with, with the answers to this question. But some closing applications. Some of you might be thinking, I'm just too shy. I'll never get over my awkward and my fumbling and bumbling manner when I'm nervous about something. You might be thinking to actually tell someone that they need Christ. That's just too much for me. Let me offer something for you. Don't. Don't tell them that they need Christ, at least not for starters. Invite them to church instead. Let Pastor Bob do that. Um, It'll come up in a sermon or in a Bible study. Friends, the, the pulpit ministry is powerful. Romans 10 says it very clearly. People won't believe unless they hear Christ speaking through the scriptures. And God is present in a special way as his word is proclaimed. And if they say no, and then if you wisely and gently, slowly over time, keep on lovingly and persistently begging them to come with you to church, being graciously unrelenting, Eventually, they might just bring up the subject themselves one of, the, one of these times that they say no. Because they might get curious and eventually ask you, why do you keep begging me to go to church with you? Can't you take 20 no's for an answer? What's the deal? And then, boom, you have an opportunity. They brought it up. They want to know why you're so excited about church and you have your answer ready. You can talk about the blessings of getting to know God. Seeing him at work there in the lives of his people, transforming people and forming a a loving community that fellowships around Christ and his gospel. So you could start by inviting people to church. Anyone can do it. A minister in the Church of Scotland named Tom Allen wrote a book back in the 50s called The Face of My Parish. And in it, he tells a story about his church becoming more evangelistic. He relates the story of two women One of them had been in the church for years and years, and the other, a second one, was a new convert who had just recently joined this church. But they had been friends. They had known each other over many years prior, and one day they bumped into each other outside of church, somewhere else, like in a store, and they started talking to each other about the church. And the one thing that the second woman, the new convert, said was was something like this. It's just such a pity that you didn't think much of your church. It's such a great church, which led the first woman to ask, well, what do you mean? I'm confused. To which the second woman replied, well, you never invited me. And so I assumed you didn't think much of your church. I knew you went to that church, to this church. I assume you didn't think much of it. Friends, people can always say no. But perhaps on the 27th time, the Holy Spirit may work in them and tell them somehow, you need to say yes. There are a thousand and one ways that we can 
reach people with the gospel. And very often it starts with what I call outreach. Uh, outreach is preparing people to hear the gospel. People who have no interest at all, we can work on them. We can love them through outreach. Uh, building a platform for the gospel, a platform built on this applying the golden rule, loving them as we would want to be loved, deeds of, of, of sacrifice for them, deeds of mercy and service that shows them the love of Christ that is in us, that builds a platform for the gospel. What neighbor was ever offended when you knocked on their door and said, well, um, I had this extra home-baked pumpkin loaf and was thinking of you, thought it might brighten your day. Here you go. Uh, what mailman was ever offended because you wondered when their birthday was? I mean, they could figure out what you're thinking. Uh, you know, but a gift card given to someone who you regularly, uh, who you on occasion see and you have some connection with, uh, can open doors for further conversation. Be thoughtful in how you might fit your outreach to the individual and to their needs. And just pray for wisdom for the right balance between pushing on the one hand and, and saying and doing nothing at all on the others. Uh, imagine that you had a friend who didn't believe in sickness nor in medicine. All of a sudden then, this friend whom you cared about was diagnosed with cancer. And you try to bring it up, and they get mad. Are you just going to leave it there? And that, you know, that this one instance shuts my mouth, and I'm just going to sit quietly by while they die? No, you're going to be thinking about just very creative ways. How can I, what can I present them with? Maybe uh, give them something in writing. What, what can I do to, to, to help get this person out of their crazy blindness, which is what unbelief is? How can I help them out of their blindness to the danger of their situation and somehow help them to see the light of the reality of their situation? Loving our lost friends and neighbors involves work, effort, thoughtfully wrestling with what, what can I do? Um, what small step can I take uh, to reach them? Just want to leave you in closing with four categories to engage in the Great Commission. Number one, never forget about prayer. Psalm 127, verse 1, unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. It's in a different context there, but very fitting to the work of the gospel. Unless God is in it, nothing will come of it. So don't go off and try to do these things without seeking God's grace, without asking and begging Him to work in the situation. Prayer is category number one. Number two is pre-evangelism or outreach, which doesn't even necessarily involve at that stage saying anything about God or even the church. Um, and this requires a sort of slow and long-term approach. Uh, the next category is inviting which again doesn't have to involve saying anything even explicitly about God, but inviting people to come and hear about God, to hear the gospel in the worship service and in a Bible study. And then lastly is engaging uh, with the gospel itself. Um, I want to just encourage you to use questions. Uh, the best way that people who are 
uh, already set against God and the gospel, the best way for them to come around is for them to see the problems with their own belief systems. Ask them questions that would help them realize, to say out loud and understand and realize why they believe what they believe. Um, and if they really don't seem like they want to talk, uh, use, a, um, you use a, a question that just piques their interest. Uh, here's some suggestions. And you're not admitting this of you or of the people in your church necessarily, but here's some questions you could ask them. Why do you think Christians are so intolerant? Okay, that'll get people talking and discussing. Why does a good God allow evil and suffering? Why should we believe an ancient book written by dead Jewish males? Why are Christians so homophobic? Why do Christians insist on heterosexual marriage only as opposed to gay marriage? These are things people are thinking about. Uh, those questions come from a great book called Questioning Evangelism, uh, which I would commend to you um, by Randy Newman, also a great tool to help us. So there you have it, prayer, outreach, invitations, and then engaging people with the gospel itself. Always being ready to give a reason for the hope that is in you. Being ready to walk someone through the gospel. That might just mean that you keep in your car your favorite evangelistic tract or booklet so that when the opportunity is there, you're ready and you can walk someone through. So with the golden rule in mind, I want to close with a statement and then one scripture verse. And the statement is, love gives what is best. Love gives what is best. A, a, a parent will give that medicine to that child and insist on it lovingly because it's best for them, even when they don't want it. Love gives what is best, and friends, Christ is best for everyone, isn't he? First uh, John 3, 16, in closing. First John chapter 3, verse 16. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers, and we are to do good to all, certainly beginning with the household of faith, but then doing good to all, laying down our lives even for those who don't yet know Christ. By God's grace, may we be filled with the gospel and be able to do this with joy because we love our Redeemer and we're knowing and living by the gospel. Amen. Let's pray.